Some of you may know, uh, last week I was in Chicago, uh, Illinois. Uh, so after mass, after nine o'clock mass last week in Gaines, uh, myself and two other priests from our diocese, Father Brett and Father Patrick, um, we, flew out of, we flew out of New Orleans, got to Chicago. Uh, we were going to a spiritual director training program. Um, that's a mouthful, but it's a, it's a program that's going to be over the next three years, a few times a year. It's a really beautiful time. We had an absolutely fantastic time. Um, it, was, uh, it was a good chance to, to kind of get, just get some space to pray. Um, the presentations, the classes, everything that we went through was really good stuff. Um, got to connect with some old friends, some people that I haven't seen in a long time, and then also just some borderline strangers from around the world who all of us together were just in a really good spot, praying, moving towards our Lord, and just enjoying the heck out of the week. At the end of the, at, towards the end of the week, though, um, it went from Sunday night through Friday morning. Uh, on Thursday night, we finished up our last session. We had evening prayer together. About 100, 120 priests from around the United States all came together. Uh, we had our evening prayer together. It was a beautiful chance to just get together and pray. And at the end of it, five of us, myself and four other men, uh, we decided we were going to go out to eat dinner to kind of celebrate the graces and share the graces of a really, really good week. We get to the restaurant and we kind of picking on each other and mess with the waitress and talking. Uh, waitress's name was Lindsay. She was really, she's a sweet girl playing right along with us. Somebody said that uh, I, I ordered some pork chops and somebody, one of the guys was like, yeah, you need to cut them as uh, like in the shape of Mickey Mouse, like just kind of picking around, kind of making me look like an idiot. I appreciated it a lot. Well, at the end of the meal, we were having our fun, we were really good conversation, really, really just a, a lot of graces that we were sharing. At the end of the meal, one of the priests at the table, Father Tim, uh, Father Tim is a pastor up in Duluth, Minnesota. When we got our bill back and it, we were finally and signing it off and doing all the stuff, Father Tim, when the waitress came back and said, Here's, like, gave us the check, and then she looks and says, is there anything I can help you with? Well, the Tim, out of the blue, looks at her. Now, we were all, just so you kind of can picture it, it's five of us around the table. All of us are in polo shirts and khakis. Like, none of us are in our uniform, right? So she has no idea who we are. We just, we prayed grace together, but we could just be a group of friends who pray grace. Like, well, the Tim looks at her and says, we're all Catholic priests. Is there any way that we can pray for you? Now, I was kind of taken aback. I was, kind of, I was kind of haunt for a second. I was, man, really? Like, I don't want to put this girl in an awkward position. Like, I don't want it to be like we're imposing anything on her. I don't want it to be like it's too much. Like, that's it, it, kind of, ooh, that's kind of bold, man. Like, what if, she, what if she doesn't, what if she's like an atheist? Or what if she's got an ax to grind with the church? Or what if she, something like happened with priests in her family or something? Like, I I don't know, man. Like, we don't know the baggage that this woman has. Are you sure you want to lay that out? And that's all going through my mind. And the Lindsay paused for a second. She looked at us and she said, pray for my mom. We just buried her on Sunday. And we all froze. At least I did. Uh, it, it seemed like the picture, the moment I could see it in my mind. I'm sitting, she's here, the guys are here, Father Tim's sitting there. It, the picture kind of froze for me for a second. What if 
Like at that point, Father Tim, he says, absolutely. Another priest, Father Andrew, looks at her and says, let's pray now. So in Jimmy's char house, at 7.30 at night, in Mundelein, Illinois, five Catholic priests prayed with this woman who had five days earlier buried her mother. What if, now I don't know what's going to, I don't know what's going to happen in Lindsay's life and, and Miss Amy, uh, we pray for her and I, I, I kind of made a little promise to myself that this weekend I'm going to mention her in the Eucharistic prayer. So when you hear me say Amy, that's who I'm talking about. But I remember, I remember that moment just thinking for a second, what if Father Tim never asked that question? We don't, we don't know. I, I don't know what's, what's going to happen in Lindsay's life. I don't know. She, she might have went to the next table and just thought, those guys are freaks. I, I don't know. But I, I noticed her disposition might have changed a little bit while she was walking around before we left. She didn't cry. She didn't break down or anything. But for a moment, she was able to be prayed for by five of us. What if Father Tim doesn't ask that question? Because if Father Tim doesn't ask that question, there's no chance of God working. Why do I share this story? Why do I share it? I've been sitting with this after, on Friday after two delayed flights and sitting on a runway for an hour and a half and, and just being aggravated and, and hot and tired and wearing a mask and just, y'all, y'all are saints for wearing that thing, by the way. Like, after all of this stuff for, for this long, I couldn't help but just sit there and reflect on why is it that it, fro- that, it, that moment froze for me the way it did. And the reason why, I think today's gospel kind of hits on. Because for a moment, Father Tim, whether he realized it or not, a priest from Duluth, Minnesota, and let, whether he realized it or not, for one moment, he showed me what it looks like to be a priest that's a good shepherd and not a hired servant. One moment, he was being a good shepherd, and it was obvious, and it was blunt, and somebody's life may have been impacted because of it. Because he allowed the Lord to work through him as a good shepherd, instead of living as a hired servant. Because today, whenever Jesus is hitting on this, that's the, that's the distinction that he draws. He draws out this, a hired servant is not good, and a good shepherd is good. I am not a hired servant, I am a good shepherd. So Jesus is saying, be like me. Be a good shepherd, don't be a hired servant. What's the difference between a hired servant and a good shepherd? I think it's very, very simple. It's a very, very plain, very, very easy distinction to draw. A hired servant is worried about what I get. Notice, the hired servant works for a wage. The hired servant runs for self-preservation. The hired servant sitting at the table thinks, I don't want this to be awkward for me. But a good shepherd sees every person that they come in contact with as one of the flock. 
A good shepherd doesn't matter on their race, doesn't matter on their gender, doesn't matter on their sexual orientation, doesn't matter on their history, doesn't matter on their age, doesn't matter anything about the person. The good shepherd sees every single person that they come in contact with as a member of Jesus' flock. That Jesus Christ loves this person that is in front of me as much as he loves me. And if he can love me with all of my shortcomings, all of my weaknesses, all of my hesitations, all of my flaws, then he can love this person as well. That's the attitude of the good shepherd. You see, Jesus Christ calls every one of us to be a good shepherd, not to be a hired servant. Today in our first reading, whenever we hear in the Acts of the Apostles, we've been walking through the Acts of the Apostles now in the, in the Easter season. And what is the Acts of the Apostles? It's, it's the, after, the, after Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit has entered the lives of the disciples in the upper room, they go out and we start to hear the earliest action of the church in the first century. And today, whenever Peter is speaking, the, the, a little bit of context for Peter's speech today, Peter and, Peter and John were walking in the temple area. They saw a crippled man. The crippled man's asking for money. He says, I don't have money, but what I do have, you can have. And he says, by Jesus Christ's name, stand. Be healed. And he was healed. And what happens is, is that the people who, own, who, who run the temple, the religious elite, temple guard, they don't like that because now Peter and John are more popular and people are following them and their preaching more than they're following the chief priests and the scribes. The rivalry of this kind of gets in the way. So what happens? They see that these two men are causing an issue, so they arrest them. And what we hear in today's first reading is we, we hear the moment when Peter is standing on behalf of his relationship with God and giving testimony to the religious elite. Giving testimony to those who ran the temple. Giving testimony to the leaders of the Jewish faith. And what does he say? He does not give a speech like a hired servant. He does not give a speech that looks like someone trying to preserve himself. He looks at them and says, I, I understand where you're coming from. But I will not, I will not water down the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Boldly, he stands up in front of these men who have the right to kill him. And he says, you are the ones that killed him. You are the ones that tried to shut down this movement, tried to shut down God's action. You have fulfilled the psalm that we read today of being the ones who cast out the cornerstone. You were the ones that did it. But I will not be silent. I will not be silent. Because God has done too great of things in my life for me not to share it. It's not the words of a hired servant. That's the words of someone who has seen and has been impacted so much by the Lord that he is then sent out to preach and to proclaim the faith in the fullness that he knows. For us, how do you live? 
An honest question, an honest examination. I know for myself at Jimmy's Char House in Mundelein, in Illinois, I was sitting back and I was feeling like, I didn't want, I didn't want to cause any issues. I didn't want it to be weird or awkward. How do you live on a daily basis? When you come to Mass, how do you feel? Are we, do we approach the sacraments, do we approach the church as a hired servant? I know I've used this phrase before. I get out of Mass. I get a lot out of that Mass. I don't get a lot out of that Mass. It's a consumer attitude towards our faith. That I come and I get what's owed me. It's a hired servant. Whether we realize it or not. Well, yes, it's good that I'm at church. Absolutely. It's still, it's not the right disposition for us to be at. That uh, what do I get out of Mass? What do I get out of my faith? What does the church have for me? Do we approach our faith as a hired servant? Or do we approach our faith as the good shepherd? Do we approach our faith with the lens that every single person we come in contact with is a member of the flock of Jesus Christ? That Jesus wants them in communion with him. It's a missionary mandate, if you will, for being a Catholic. That we're called to share the gospel at all times, and I don't mean without words. That you and I are both called to proclaim boldly and proudly, just as St. Peter, that Jesus Christ died and rose for my sake, that because the tomb is empty, I have a hope of eternal life, and because I have hope of eternal life, you do as well. In the 1930s, there was a, 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 a tailor in Poland named Jan Tiranowski. Jan, J-A-N, Tiranowski, I'm not even going to try and spell it. But his name was Jan Tiranowski in, 19, in the 1930s. He was a man in, in Poland. He was a tailor, very, very simple man, but had a very, very vibrant faith. He didn't do anything great. He wasn't, like, he wasn't out like, converting, or, converting all kind of people with preaching, or he wasn't a man that was like, going to you know, start a religious order or anything like that. He was very simple. He was a tailor in Poland. He was active as, at, his local, at his local parish of St. Stanislaus Kaska, but he was just a tailor who had a vibrant, active faith. When 1939, when the Nazis came into Poland and the Nazi occupation started, one of the first things that the Nazis did was they outlawed priests from, being, from, from acting in public. They basically relegated the sacraments to a private thing. Private masses... It was, it was a lot of private faith. Um, if, if you want to think, I don't think we have to stretch our minds too far to think a year ago how everything kind of got relegated to a closet. Well, in 1939, when this goes on, the way that the, their parish, the, the way that this parish decided that they were going to become active in their faith they couldn't rely on the priests, though. The way that they decided that they were going to become active was they got members of the church, like Jan, 
to take a few people, just a small group of people, and to walk with them. So this man had kind of a charism and kind of a, a, a way about him that, that teenagers was like a good age group for him. So what he did was, is that Jan, he recruited five teenage boys. And what he would do is, he would break open the scriptures with them, he would just teach them, they would walk together. And what he did was, he encouraged each of them to be like a little Jesus. To go out and to get 12 younger boys and to kind of do the same thing. So he was working with five, those five were each working with 12. So under his tutelage, if you will, he had about 65 boys. Out of 65 boys, 10 of them became priests. Out of 65 boys, like in vocations world, like good priests to be working and to inspire a vocation. But out of 65 boys that were following this simple tailor from Poland, out of 65, 10 of these boys became priests. That's already amazing. That's already just almost a borderline miraculous that he would be able to inspire these 10 boys through his kind of walking with them to, to become priests. The first one that was the first one of these priests, his name is Carol Waitiwa. Now if, you, if that name doesn't ring a bell for you, it's okay. Because about 30, 40, about 40, 50 years later, Carol Waitiwa would be known to the entire world. When he would step out onto the balcony of St. Peter's Basilica, and he would take the name of John Paul II. And in an interview... Carol Waitiwa said that if it wasn't for Jan Tiranowski, he would never have been a priest. God worked through a simple tailor in Poland in the 1930s and absolutely changed human history. God worked through the yes of a simple tailor in the 1930s and changed the course of human history. Because of one yes, the church, is, the church became relevant in the, in, the, in the 2000s. Because of one yes, communism, many people could say that, that John Paul II was one of the major people in shutting down communism, that communism crumbled. Because of the yes of a Polish tailor in the 1930s. Tiranowski, if he wanted to, he could have hidden. He could have had the attitude of a, of a, of a hired servant. What is in this for me? But he was a man who saw the world around him, who saw the people around him, as members of God's flock. And if God could love me in my shortcomings, He definitely can love you as well. You and I are called not to be hired servants, not to approach our faith of what we can get. You and I are meant to, be, to walk in the path of the Good Shepherd. 
that we see every single person we come in contact with as a person who Jesus loves before anything else. As we continue in this Mass, as we pray today, ask the Lord, every day, ask the Lord to give you the person that He wants you to share your faith with. It might be a waitress in Mundelein, Illinois, at Jimmy's Char House. Might be a, a, a cashier at Walmart. Might be with you, who you believe to be a lost cause in your family. Brother, sister, sister-in-law, mother-in-law, whoever. Might be a, a borderline stranger. Might be your spouse. But God is calling us not to approach our faith as hired servants. God is calling us to, be, to walk in his path. To see every single person that we come in contact with as a child of God, as a member of the flock that he loves. God's calling us first and foremost to be a good shepherd.